sent me a script but it's uh <laughs> well you'll see ah so uh <laughs> what are, are they trying to mitigate the uh the shticking well, we do along with it or something yeah they've they've given us di- dialogue to speak <laughs> no kidding yeah we get to read it like a scene it's um it's kind of my dream there's not a lot of dialogue okay it's, uh, i wrote back and saying you know i i think it's well, you know what? We'll we'll get into. I it. think it'll be funnier to just to read the dialogue. <laughs> Do they give us stage directions? <laughs> Remove glasses. Nat seems annoyed. Mm. Uh, no. <laughs> so. Yeah, may as well. We may as well just get going. Let's do it to it. To what? To what? Do it. We're doing a show. Did you see that Melissa is now a moderator on the? Yes. On the Facebook. I love giving power to other people. Yes. It's like a nice way of giving someone else work to do instead of you. Yeah. No, but really, Melissa's been so awesome because, um, you know, we I don't see everything that goes horribly wrong on the uh, on the groups and things. And, you know, we have a couple moderators, I think Aaron and um, Jeff Dixon and... Uh, uh, <laughs> People I have not heard from in, <laughs> I know. in years. But G-Money Smooth. So oh, yeah, great, they, of course. They yeah. can't do everything, you know what I mean? And so Melissa has been super helpful. Uh, and I said, you know what? I dub thee the new moderator. Yeah, and uh, her, her first act, official act, was to pull that weird, scammy Xbox thing. Yeah, there was a, a weird or post. PS5. And, and I admit I was the one who approved it, you know, because it was me. I saw it because sometimes if they would mm-hmm. post and there's an approval process. And I was looking at it and I was like, this is kind of weird. She's like, wants to give away her late son's PS5, you know? And it sort of seemed like it could be true because there was no like obvious sale of anything. But once I did it, I was like, hmm, let's see what happens. And then Melissa said, this looks like a scam. So I I also saw it uh, sitting in there pending approval. Yeah. And like, who's going to approve this? Like like the great. avoider of things that I am. I just, I was like, I'm not touching that thing. I'll let Nat decide whether we should put that up. So I, I did the wrong thing. It, it seems. And, um, so scammer, uh, detained. Thank you. Uh, and we're back. Welcome to recovery in the middle ages. The podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love and recovery. I'm Nat X. I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. The birds are chirping. The flowers are budding and middle-aged men all across the country are abuzz about spring training and their local baseball team's chances this season. <laughs> what are you talking about? And... <laughs> We discuss the the Netflix drug umentary. See what I did there? Drug umentary. Yeah. It's called Take Your Pills, Xanax, and uh, the world's addiction to feeling okay. All this and more today on a very, very special edition of RM. Wait for it. Hey. <laughs> Yeah. I thought we talked about this. <laughs> I like it. Listen, the fact that you've thrown a, a, a dislike on this thing—it's not that I dislike. Now it makes me. Now it makes me want to play it more. <laughs> makes me want to play it twice a show. Just from from one, you know, 
artist and creator to another. This is Kyle's. It You know it's cool and it's kind of funny. And I like it the first time as kind of like a boom. But Kyle, I am tasking you with something a little more like... I was thinking vintage, you know, 80s morning radio, something like with a tight, um, you know, uh, like that in the morning. <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, like a, a major chord singing, uh, you know, just in that like real schlocky 80s morning show thing. Can you do that? That uh, would be cool. I was thinking, I'm like, I want to try and do it, but I, I don't here, have here's the attention my theory. span. Um, but Kyle, thank you. I, I'd lo- I think it's hilarious, but that's my theory is that you don't look out. gift jingos in the mouth. I, and I'm not, but you keep playing it, you know, it could have been just like, you know, Hey, where is it? Hey, how about another one? But Kyle's doing a great job on most of our, uh, music cuts. <laughs> most of our music. Wow. Damning <laughs> this, with faint this praise. One, <laughs> All this guy does is give and give and, and you're like, you just keep it. kicking him in the nuts. It's just, this one is like, it just. It's it's funny, but let's try another one. He, Kyle has all rights and privileges to put anything he wants in that little section. I'm granting total, like, whatever he does next, just I'll not, play Just it. not what's there now. Just not that one. Let's just move on from that one. And, um, oy vey. Oy vey. But this episode hey. is who? Is it brought to you by something? No, go ahead. Oh, you go first. Recovery in the Middle Ages. Patreon. Um, what is Patreon. It's a uh, it's a place it? where you give yeah. us money and we provide a podcast. Yeah, it's like money in quotes. It's like three bucks a month and uh, or five, depending on what kind of gift you could you want. give more. You could. No one is stopping you. There's absolutely no limit to which you can give. The only limit is your credit card limit. What does the NPR say? If you want to discuss leaving us a bequest in your in your in your will, <laughs> you can call call uh, myself or Nat, and we will arrange. I think that's a great idea. Yes. So. If you want to leave it to our MA, we should do another. We'll give you a shout out every episode. Every episode. So we talk about, we, we have a, a private Discord group, which has been growing by leaps and bounds. Um, it's just a cool place to uh, to recover together. There's different categories. We say good morning, good night, hello, how are you? And <laughs> sometimes I just need to talk. Honestly, I use it when I'm like, my kids are asleep. My wife is asleep. I'm watching some stupid thing on TV and I haven't fallen asleep yet. And I'm like... I feel lonely. I have something on my mind. I don't want to text Mike right now because it's like 1130. Well, I'll be sleeping anyway. Right. So he's never going to see it. I can right. be like, Mike, I think, I think I'm going to relapse. Yeah. Silence. Mike has his phone <laughs> silenced. <laughs> right. Earplugs in, laying in bed. So I like the Discord because there's monsters hanging out. You never know who's going to jump in when you are you like in know. trouble. And it's one of those things. When I'm feeling down or I feel in trouble, I don't usually go, I'm in trouble. I just kind of be like, "Hey, anybody there?" And yeah, uh, usually, there's somebody around. Yeah, uh, yeah it's it's get some some good activity. There's uh, if you're a deadhead, we have a group for yeah. you. If you're a Buddhist, we have a group for you. Mm-hmm. A subgroup, right? Um, there's right. a su- Christianity subgroup, which I assumed you would take lead on, but I see nothing in there. I didn't even know it was on there. You uh, see, there's so much going on on the Patreon. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can talk yeah. about books, you can talk about music, you can talk about movies, you can talk about whatever you want. There, you, your pro- issues with your kids, there's a, there's a co- kids right. kvetching <laughs> group in there. Complain about your kids. And really, that's the value add of the Patreon, if you ask me. There it's are not like you get a mug after three months or a sticker or something, or occasionally we, we drop some bonus video content yeah. in there when I remember to hit record on right. the Zoom. But 
Um, but really it's the, it's the community. I mean, we have community on our Facebook group, right. you know, you can start, that's the gateway community. Yeah. This is like, a, yeah, this right. is like full blown, right? This is an addiction, this RMA is, addiction. You're going to need an intervention after this. So patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages, sign up, come say hi. So, uh, you know, when you know better, you do better. Uh, I agree. Sometimes doing better depends on what tools are available to you. Hmm. Right? Agreed. Uh, as two men in recovery from alcohol use disorder. That's us. <laughs> we know how difficult it can be to seek help for a disease that's so stigmatized. Mm. And if you're struggling to get sober, Soberlink can help. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system was specifically designed to help in your recovery. Not just some breathalyzer you buy at the store. Right? <laughs> Small enough to fit in your pocket and discreet enough to use in public or in front of your kids. It sounds like they're advertising like a, a crack pipe or something. <laughs> No, I'm kidding, guys. Not a crack. Um, Soberlink devices combine facial recognition. Well, they don't have that on crack pipes. They do not. That might be God. a great way to. In tip order to down smoke use. crack, it has to actually be you. Right. They will make sure that it's your breath, not your dog. Right, so if somebody steals your crack pipe, they can't use can't it. Use Fuck them. Um, so it, Soberlink devices combine facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results so friends and family know instantly that you're sober and working towards your recovery goals. Mm. Now, next part. Next part. Mike reads. Okay. This system would have been a game changer for Nat and I during early recovery when every bit of accountability helps. Nat Reed right there. Uh, yeah, I really can't think of a better tool for tracking and sharing progress and rebuilding trust in relationships. Make 2023 a memorable one. Visit www.soberlink.com slash middle ages to sign up and receive $50 off your device. Ah. $50. 50 bucks. Middle hyphen ages. Don't forget. What? And middle hyphen. Oh, that's our. Um, uh, no, not that picture. That's our, um, our, our uh, the code. I love. Is that the whole ad? That's the whole ad. Oh, guys. This is great. Can we get them to write more dialogue? <laughs> I can ask uh, the, the marketing person over there. It's, uh, Yo, I have a great idea. Can you know they, what? I like it because it's shorter than the last one. The last one, I felt like we were like, bob it bob it bob it Yeah, this is a good one. I like, I, what I want to do is I've been messing with ChatGPT with my son since you told me about it. Yes. And it's so freaking amazing. It's the funniest thing. We did, we were trying it out and uh, Noah says to me, well, okay, think of the two most unrelated people you know, in the world, and let's tell ChatGPT to write a comedy sketch with them in it. <laughs> so I said, okay, we're going to do Austin Theory, the wrestler, and Michelle Obama meeting <laughs> meeting in Euro Disney. And we said, write a comedy sketch about it. And it did. Was it good? Hilar the funniest thing I've ever seen. That's Patreon content yeah, right it there. It is. So we could do a funny sketch for Soberlink with ChatGPT with oh. some hilarious parameters. We should do that. I think that would we be could, funny. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Soberlink's a great product. We believe in it. Uh, yeah. G-Money has used it successfully to rebuild trust in his relationships. Yeah, and that's, that's uh, and legit. I, I think it's a good thing, you know? Yeah. Um, they talk about, you know, people buying breathalyzers from the store. And Can you do that? Yeah, actually, yes, because it reminded me of this uh, funny story. So when I got into the, the troubles with, <laughs> with uh, the drinking and the driving, right? I love it. Um, my, uh, I was working for this company. I was the, uh, the, mar the, the marketing director for this company. And uh, they knew about my troubles. Mm -hmm. And um, they also knew that I was trying to drink, like, carefully so that I could, you know, not get arrested and all of that. Uh -huh. And so the owner of the company 
the day before we had this big party that we were all going out for, it was like a Christmas party. He, he's like, I got this for you. <laughs> okay. And it was like the top of the line over the counter breathalyzer. Wow. And he's like, listen, you can drive. Okay. But just in case, you know, here's your breathalyzer. So you can make sure your alcohol level is zero before you get behind the wheel. That's the most Long Island yeah. uh, pre-party present ever. I mean, it was thoughtful, I thought, but also kind of missing the point. Um, and uh, anyway, that's my breathalyzer story. So sober link. No, no, no. That's not the full story. The full story is you went to the party. Did you actually breathe in the fucking thing? Did you wait until you zeroed out before you <laughs> car? I'm not ready. I'm, I'm not trying to call you out or anything. You know, we've all been there. Let me just say that I am not ready to talk about what happened that night. But what I am ready really? to say is, it was a good one. That was a bad one. A good and a bad one. I, the night sort of ended in me and my, my uh, boss at the time sitting in my car oh. at the train station. Not that kind of thing. But oh. it was just sitting there because I drove and I couldn't turn, start my car because um, I had been drinking. Wasn't well, sure lot. where the keys were? I had the keys. <laughs> I just couldn't start the car because of the breathalyzer. I had one of those oh, cars. It was an interlock. I had an interlock, and the thing he gave me was to, to blow on that before I screwed up. Oh. And because if you blow over with one of those intoxilocks, the car sends a warning to your company, and your probation officer gets it. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. So that was fun. We sat there for about an hour and a half until I had to call a cab. So you really don't um, make the best choices when no. you've been drinking, do you? No. 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 So that's, that's that story. But I mean, not you. I mean, <laughs> we. But what happened between the beginning of the night and when I'm sitting in the, the parking lot at the train station is maybe I'll do that on a Patreon. Yeah. Because yeah. that story needs to be told. It has to come out into the air. War stories <laughs> coming soon. We haven't done a war story one. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of people like war stories. I know that. And uh, some people who came over from Dopey, um, if, you, if you're listening, if you're a Dopey listener and you heard Dave talk about us on the last few shows, welcome. Yeah, thanks we, for stopping by. Yeah, it's kind of a different show. You know, we don't do all the, a lot of war stories, but when we do, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, so thanks for listening. I find, though, when I interview people... Mm. Like uh, like GVG and that was a great know, interview. That was a good interview. People seem to like really respond to that. I don't know the power of Krishna. Krishna. Um, I mean, for me, the part that I find more interesting is like how people put their lives back together and where yeah. they are now, as opposed to the the drunk and the yeah. drinking stories, because those are all more or less the same. The trajectory is more or less the same. Yeah, it's like the hijinks is different, and but you know, it, yeah. it really is. Um, like yeah. Joseph Naus, right? Mm. Wrote, wrote two books. The second book, he had been sober for like a year and, and there was no alcohol or drug use. And I found that book more compelling than the first book. Oh, yeah. Where he went through the whole, you know. Yeah, that straight pepper diet. And the second book was? Uh, the Falls Graph Revelation. The Falls Graph Revelation. Is that yeah. an animal? Or is that your leg? It's probably your leg. Mm. Okay. Sorry. I'm hearing things because I've recently been delirious. Um. Well, it's funny you should say that because I don't know if you know this, but we have a raccoon. Did I talk about this? I think I posted a picture of one of the raccoons. That was. You posted a picture in the Patreon, but there's thousand people that are yeah, not on there. So That's true. Who should be, but um, don't listen to us, apparently. Did we have a monster speak? Because uh, today we're talking about... I tried. Take your pills, Xanax. Take your pills to work day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, trying to get a, a good story from uh, the monsters on... Uh, 
their experience with benzos. I asked, but nobody really had a compelling story about benzodiazepines. I'm, I'm sure now that I'm saying this and this is going to go out on mm. the feed, people will have stories. But can you tell me what happened to the raccoon? Oh, so, right. So at our house, you know, we've been hearing animals uh, at nighttime. Like clearly one has gotten into the wall somehow. And, uh, and so I called this exterminator service. And what they do is they set up these traps you know, it's like a rectangle. Some are bigger than others. He said, we've got raccoons and we have squirrels. Uh, but I told him, actually, we also have opossums. Mm. Uh, and so the services, they come and they put the traps out, they bait them, and then they come back and check them. So it's kind of like, you know, a surprise. Every day we come home and sometimes there's a, a squirrel in there. A couple of times they've caught two raccoons. Really? Uh, and they're still out there. So... Yeah, that one raccoon was removed, but I had to call. Where um, do they take them? Do they release them somewhere? I have a don't ask. Or do ask, they like drown, drown them in the bathtub somewhere? <laughs> I have a okay. don't ask, don't tell policy with what they do. I don't think they killed them, but... Um, Is it Raccoon Boy? Is that the person who came? So It's suburban extermination. Oh, okay. Just, yeah. yeah. Uh, See, we don't live in the kind of place of the country where people... Where you, we have like bears or fucking yeah. dangerous animals. And we don't I mean, invite raccoons the raccoons are, in. tend to be dangerous. Well, you have cat food outside, so in a sense, you're inviting the raccoons. Well, that's what the exterminator told me the first day he came. He goes, why is there a dish of food outside your back door? And I said, well, I've got all these cats outside that I feed, and, you know, they've got to eat. And the problem is, it's not just them eating, it's the raccoons, and, yeah. you know, it puts on quite a show. So I stopped feeding them um, mostly. Like, I'll put the food out. I'll watch Vladimir or Hocus Pocus or Midnight or uh, Pharos is another one or Mittens. And I, we've named them all. And they eat a little bit and I bring it in. So they only caught a cat once, which I was able to free him. <laughs> um, sprung him. That was horrifying. So Yeah, I, uh, yeah. you know me, I'm a big bird guy. So I, I have lots of bird feeders with seed. And, and rather than attracting raccoons, I've, I've attracted rats. Which, oh. Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's one thing we definitely don't have, I think. Um, yeah, you think. I didn't think we had them either until I set some traps up in the garage. But um, uh, So I... Uh, oh, wait, I have an announcement. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to do more with the Soberversaries that get posted to announce oh, them. Oh, great. Because on the, the Patreon, you know, Discord, we have a section for Soberversaries, and I always forget to check it. Um, so um, moderator Melissa actually uh, announced that she officially had 95 days... And that was on the 1st, April 1st. Uh, and so congratulations, Melissa. Congratulations, yeah. Melissa. Yeah, if you've got a soberversary, send it to us, post it in the Facebook, and um, um, I'll announce it. I thought you were going to say post it in, yeah. in the mail. I always, yes, yeah, send it via post. Via post. Um, yeah, so that's the size of that. Now, how was your week? Did you go somewhere? Did you okay. get food poisoning? It was all fucked up. Yeah. My whole week was fucked up. Um, yeah, sorry, we missed a week. And uh, the president's commented on it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, anybody who didn't download that should go listen to it because it took me like two hours to make and I had to upload samples to AI things. It was fun. It was a labor of love. I did it right before I left. Um, and, you know, I left and it's a work conference and I was just expecting it to be a normal work conference like they have been recently, you know, yeah. rinse and repeat, go to a day of boring lectures, an early breakfast day of lectures, go to a reception avoid the drinking monster and go to sleep and, you know, do, do it the next day. But a weird thing happened, you know, I'm out in Palm Springs, which is, you know, lovely, right? I think warmish and, you know, a little colder than usual 
this mm. time of year. I was just out there a month ago for a vacation, right? So I go back for this conference. Back Same place, work. literally around the corner. Back for work. Um, the first morning, I go out for my morning run, okay? And I'm running, and it's great. And, I, and I'm smelling the orange blossoms. Mm. And I'm like, California is a beautiful place. And then I run head on into this wall of shit. Mm. It smells like human shit. Just the smell or something The smell. Physical. Wow. The smell. Well, something physical. Hold your horses okay. there, buddy, because I'm running and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. And I finally pop out like between these two hedges and I'm at a corner and I look and there's this fucking massive honey truck pumping out the sewer in Indian Wells. Honey um, truck? Yeah. Like What's the, a honey a truck? A honey truck is a, is a cesspool truck. Oh, I never heard that before. Yeah. So they're pumping, out, truck. pumping out the sewer and I look and it's a literal cloud of atomized human feces ah. that I'm enveloped in what? as I'm running oh. and I'm inhaling this thing. So I run across the street, I get out of the cloud and I'm, Ugh. and it, and it, yeah, I know, Ugh. I know. And it, and it, and I think to myself in passing, shit, I wonder if I can get sick from that. <laughs> uh, so fast forward. Oh, that you think that got you I sick? I think that's what it was because nobody else got sick in the whole conference. Just me. Mm. 24 hours later, Ugh. I'm going to the lunch that they put out. And instead of having a hamburger, I have a veggie burger. And it's just not sitting right. And I'm mm. like, man, this is California. You think they'd be able to come up with a fucking veggie burger that isn't like dry and <laughs> desiccated shoe leather. And throughout the whole rest of the afternoon, I'm just feeling off and off and off. But I have this big dinner that night. It's a retirement dinner. It's uh -huh. only eight people. And my boss is one of them, yeah, right? That's most and I'm starting to feel really bad. And I'm like, well, should I just cancel? And I'm like, I can't really cancel. It's like one of the main reasons I came out here was to go to this retirement dinner, you mm. know? Uh, it's like a work obligation. You Even just wear a diaper. It's fine. Well, I at this point, my symptoms were all body. Like, I was like, I had the chills. I had aches. And I was starting to get a little out of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is very interesting because my boss, the whole afternoon, he's like, he keeps coming up to me and showing me, like, he's like, it's half-price wine tonight. Like, I've told this guy a hundred <laughs> times I don't drink. And he still is like, it's so just funny. right over his head. He's like, we're going to drink some all kinds of wine tonight. And I'm like, yeah, man, sounds great, you know? And uh, I get to the restaurant and... Um, I knew I, the minute I walked in the door, I knew I should have stayed home because yeah. I start getting literally delirious. And the interesting thing about that was like, all of a sudden I'm like, my consciousness is totally altered and I'm sitting at a table with people who are drinking and their consciousness is totally altered. And for once I sort of felt did you get that like I did not, I wasn't like out of place because I was like saying inappropriate shit and I was being weird and, um, you got the alcohol effect with just violent, you know, dysentery. That's great. Yeah, basically. Huh. So, um, that was very strange. But the other strange thing was they're ordering this wine and my boss is like, sir, you have a wine if we're getting any. And I'm like, uh, no, I haven't had a drink in a while. He's like, Oh, how long? And I'm like, Oh, almost four years. He's like, what? <laughs> what? Really? What the hell is wrong with and you? And I'm, I'm not like, I told you, you bonehead, like <laughs> three times. I'm just like, yeah, you know, I just decided it wasn't for me. And the minute you say something about it, then everybody else who's drinking tries to convince you of how little they drink. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I cut yeah, I way back like, on my drinking. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, I had that conversation 
at a reception the night before with this one guy. It's the same conversation all the time. He comes up to me with a margarita in Mm -hmm. his hand and he goes, yeah, I really, I cut my drinking back so much. And then two hours later, I see him like basically on the floor in the corner. (laughs) I'm like, whatever, man. You know, like I'm not judging you. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't uh, stay sober just to like make you feel bad. You know, you don't have to. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with. But why do you you think it's in their subconscious that they know their body's telling them they shouldn't be doing that? Much, uh, yeah, I don't know, and they feel like they have to apologize for it for some reason. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're apologizing to themselves. Maybe they just don't want anybody judging their behavior. But I'm like, you know, I'm not living your life, man. You know, <laughs> it's all yours. Buddy. You're a successful attorney. You have a nice family. Like, I'm not passing judgment on how you spend your free time. I mean, I know I'm going to feel better than you in the morning, but I feel like I always have to like preemptively apologize when um, someone is like, oh, you know. Uh, when they find out that I don't drink, and then um, I always feel like I have to say, yeah, yeah, but I can, I don't care if you drink, and mm. I always, like, qualify, but like, no, my wife has a drink and once in a while, and, you know, it doesn't bother me. Like, I'm still fun. <laughs> don't run oh, away. I have not... I- I got over that yeah. fast. I man. always I do. I do not give two shits if people think I'm fun or a fucking stick in the mud. I'm like old enough that I could give a fucking yeah. rat's ass what anybody else thinks about. Yeah, in ten years, I'm sure. I'll be, yeah, you know, you will. I, I'm telling you because yeah. I literally don't care. That's fine. And uh, but the rest of that dinner was a fucking nightmare. Yeah. You know, was and the then, food good at least? I, I couldn't put a piece of food oh, in my mouth, and point. that's you know, I order a fifty dollar plate of fucking halibut and i'm just pushing it around on the plate my boss is like what's the matter it's not good and i'm like because he's sitting next to me of course this guy's kind of overbearing no he's 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 a a real he's a super nice guy yeah yeah he cares Uh, about you he does i mean we're more friends like what's wrong with the halibut you know uh and i'm just like now my stomach's been off since lunch that's all i said you know but um i meanwhile i'm living in mortal terror that i've infected all eight people at the table with some kind of fucking norovirus and you weren't wearing a mask were you of course not. It's California, but even there, nobody wears a mask. <laughs> yeah, that's over. So I go to sleep. I thrash all night long. Next day, I go to the business meeting in the morning, and then I drive to Los Angeles, and I just basically spend the next day in bed waiting for a flight out the following day, and then things start working their way through the system, the, if you know what I mean. On the plane? No, I had a. I was I was blessed with a hiatus on ah, the plane. But when hiatus. I got home, it was every 20 minutes all night long. Ah. So I, not to belabor the point, but it yeah. was it was a very difficult trip. There's nothing worse than being sick on the road. Yeah, I mean, I tried to check in with you a few times just to like, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, I'm like... Mark's drinking. He's Mike, a, fuck, Mike. <laughs> I, well, I try and think that, you know, if... If he's having trouble, is he going to text me? And then I'm like, I can't assume that he's going to think that. So I'm going to make sure that I can text you and let you know, hey, something's going wrong or you're feeling weird. Just text me. It's fine. But then I'm like, if I say that, he's going to think, I think he's going to drink. Oh, but again, but I refer I you to my earlier comment. I don't give a rat's ass what other people think. Well, that's great to know. So I can just, I, if I check you reach on out, you, it's if fine. I reach out, it's not like I think you're going to do so. I'm no. just being supportive. Yes. That's it. Okay. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Uh, that's- although I did have a moment. I, it wasn't a moment where I felt like drinking, but it was a moment before I got sick, the day before. I'm at the reception. I'm like, I could fucking double fist my way through this entire evening. Right, you said that to me. And nobody would ever know. Right, but you did text that to me. I did. And so maybe when you were thinking that, you were kind of like, that's a dangerous thought. That could go somewhere. I better... And then you put it out there into the uh, tandem sponsor verse, 
And and did it help to like tell somebody else? Oh yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the magic of that. And then because that's the kind yeah. of thought you don't want bump bouncing around yeah. inside your head. Yeah. Because in the beginning, it's like, oh, I could do this. I never would, but I could. Mm-hmm. And then you know the evolution of that thought over time. Yeah. You know, maybe not this trip. Maybe the next trip. Yeah. You know. No, that's really good. You bring it out into the light, and uh, huh. Yeah. Random I got a, sponsorship. I got another trip. In two weeks, back to Cal- back to L.A. Jeez. I can't take it anymore. I'm too old for this shit, yeah. Matt. Matt, I mm. really don't want to be doing work traveling travel so much. Yeah. yeah, our neighbor over there, uh, uh, the Irishman, he's, you know, he's about your age, and they fly him to, like, Mexico, Tokyo. Like, that's worse. Ugh. And it just, at first, I was like, wow, that's so, you know, glamorous. They put you in business class, and you're flying around the world. He's like, it gets old very quickly. It, yep. <laughs> yep. It does. It does. Because you're away from your family. Your brain scrambled with the time change. You're eating unfamiliar food. You're sleeping in strange beds. I mean, yeah, yeah. A lot of that's what happens when you're like on drugs too. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Just at perhaps a lower level than the the, the, the Sky Club lounge at JFK. Yeah, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, that's tough for me. The airports were so such an allure for drinking. Like once you get to the airport. I used to feel like there's no rules. It doesn't matter what time it is. You're in an airport. You can get wasted. My flight out uh, to California was at nine in the morning on a Sunday. And there was the bars were packed at JFK. That's crazy. I'm like, what? I don't understand. I never drank at nine in the morning. Well, unless I'd been up all night. Um, I've definitely drank at nine in the morning. Uh, (laughs) I started to really enjoy it. yeah, so that's good. Glad to have you back. You're feeling better. You're in the pink, so to speak. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, All right, today is really the first day I felt like 100% myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so well it's a f- day to do week, it. A full week. A full week. And we had a, a kind of a cool thing happen uh, over the past few days. Our kids actually hung out. They did. But not just hanging out. It was a D&D hangout adventure day. That's Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it's... And uh, the the way that whole thing, the way that whole thing went down, like was so weird though, because, you know, Ben knows this kid from the bus, like they would take the bus together when they were both at Vernon. So that's how you know him. That's how I know him. And he's a year younger than Ben and Noah. So Mm -hmm. that he puts him in the other school. He's still at Vernon. Right. Right. Um, So this thing's been in the works for like a while, this Dungeons and Dragons day. And, um, Ben got an invite because he takes cooking classes with Donald mm-hmm. down, I shouldn't use the kid's name, whatever, down the street. And uh, so, okay, so this comes together. Great. Uh, and then the morning of, you text me and you're like, Maddie is going to some Dungeons and Dragons thing. Yeah, that's our neighbor. And, yeah, and Noah wants to go and Ben's like, sure, come along. And I'm yeah. like, it's not your house, Ben. You can't invite <laughs> P- Noah over to somebody's house. And Aaron is like getting all nervous about it. And I'm like, oh my God. This is yeah, this. it was weird because um, Noah and Maddie were doing a bunch of dungeons. Like they were playing Dungeons and Dragons. Noah and I was trying to, we're trying to learn the rules together. So we had all of these books. So Maddie just comes, knocks on the door to borrow Noah's dungeons, like the player's guide. And she comes to the door. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what do you mean you're borrowing? Like, what are you doing? Like, I, nobody told me there was a Dungeons and Dragons thing going on. And she's like, oh, yeah, we're playing, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, she told me who was going to be there. And I'm like, those are all Noah's buddies. I'm like, that's weird. I'm like, all right, you know, see you later. And then I'm like, Noah, what's going on? He's like, oh, I don't know, it sounds really cool. I'm like, 
I'm like, what? Like, whose house is it? He's like, I don't know. So finally, Maddie texted him and said, you know, okay, you can come. But Ben said you can come. I don't know who's <laughs> approving this because Noah doesn't know the kid. And uh, yeah, so it sounds like it, it panned out. Well, um, the mom sent a picture to Aaron of everybody sitting there. And, and Noah was, you know, sort of like the DM because yeah, he, was, he was the only one that knew how to play. Yeah, we So it ended up hours. being like the perfect... The perfect situation that he came. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, because we would spend hours at the board game cafe a few months ago learning. Like we sat there for like a couple of hours with the lead nerd who works mm. there. And <laughs> the we, I was nerd. asking him pointed questions about character rolling. Right. Like hit like the whole thing. I'm like, I want to understand this. And then, of course, like everything else we get into for a couple of months, hardcore, it goes away. And uh, but he still remembers how to do it. Well, now Ben has a set of books that he got, uh, so he's going to try and get more into it. And I'm like, you guys have to do this more. Yeah, like, you, get you to have do it, like, to every like, week. Well, yeah, I guess twice I mean, a week. Sometimes. They just need like they need to do something that's not that's, so centered around their fucking phone. Yeah, you know that's why D and D's awesome because they're talking to one another. You can use your acting, social, and it, and yeah. it went on for like four hours. Yeah, that's and a good game. I didn't think game. Ben could pay attention to anything for four hours. Oh, man, D and D was so fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was so, so jealous. Yeah, I was pretty stoked that uh, <laughs> that they, that that happened. So that was cool. Yeah, good times, and uh, of course we had a very exciting uh, weekend because it was WrestleMania weekend. weekend, weekend. WrestleMania, Ania, Ania, <laughs> Ania, Ania, and um, of course I get very excited about these things because Max and I, my little guy, we watch wrestling together, and he gets into it and. It's just the theater of the absurd, like all weekend. Um, but it was really funny because. <laughs> on, so this goes on for more than a day. They have turned it into uh, a weekend. It's like Friday night is the, the television show, the normal one. Then they do WrestleMania Saturday. The one. Yeah, they smack down on Friday. Then WrestleMania Saturday. And then WrestleMania Sunday. And like Snoop Dogg was there. Oh, my. And, uh, yeah, he was a co-host. Um, you know, but that was a lot of fun. And, uh, but Saturday we went to see the Paul, um, not Paul Gauguin. We saw the, uh, Vincent Van Gogh, the Vincent Van Gogh, um, the Vincent Van Gogh exhibit, which is this sort of modern art animation movie like experience. So they they take the paintings of Van Gogh and they turn it into a psychedelic experience to sort of draw in people that are used to multi, uh, stream entertainment. Right. And uh, it was awesome, you know, but still it wasn't enough for my kids. You know, they were like, this is boring. Where's the ride? And I'm like, there's no ride. (laughs) They were really, I'm like, no, what did you think this was going to be? We're like looking at the artwork of Vincent Van Gogh, like arranged in these cool, like, uh, you know, animations and things. He goes, I thought it was going to be like one of those Disney rides. You sit in the car, you know, that little, and you go through the whole, I'm like, no, man. You have to dodge the ears that come flying by. It was a a lot of fun, but we went out for my sister-in-law's something, something birthday. And the whole time I was thinking about, I'm like, it's WrestleMania Saturday. John Cena is going to wrestle. How can I be looking at Van Gogh when WrestleMania is coming? You know, I had so much on my mind. In any case, we had a nice dinner. Where? Uh, it was season 52. Oh yeah. By Roosevelt Field. Right, right, right. It was very, it was an excellent restaurant. Uh, yeah. Very fresh uh, ingredients, whatever. So it was my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law. I just asked because they opened no. a Korean hot pot 
place right next Ooh. to where the Van Gogh exhibit is. So I was thinking that that might be a nice Saturday. That would be good. We're going out to dinner too, aren't we? You and me and our wives yes. on Friday. Yes. I had no idea. It's an RMA meetup. This is, how did this happen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we had nothing to do with this. No, but Christina reminded me, so to speak, like last, she goes, oh, and don't forget, we're going out to dinner with Mark and Aaron. I said, really? <laughs> oh, that's cool. We're going out in Roslyn. Yes. We're going to an Indian restaurant in Roslyn. Right. We've been talking about Indian food lately. We haven't, you know, had any in a while because we used to live in Little India on Long Island. So we were eating it. You lived in Hicksville? Yes, Hicksville. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, Yeah. Right near all of the Indian Indian restaurants. restaurants, And so we were talking about missing it. And we're like, who could we go out to dinner with that would appreciate Indian food? And we're like, Mark and Aaron. Yes. So I guess they made it happen. So that'll be fun. I'm glad there'll be a week between my my stomach troubles and when we eat the Indian food. Yeah, I used to love Indian food. Me too. Lately, I find it keeps me up at night. Does it really? But I love it. Yeah, the I, spice. I, I will sacrifice some sleep for uh, for some, some vindaloo. Vindaloo. But the, the funny thing I was getting to Sorry. eventually, yeah. I know it was a l- slow burn, but yeah. so after we come out of the restaurant, I was talking to Max because WrestleMania had already started. It was like 8.10. Oh, shit. I said out loud... It's WrestleMania night, Max. We got to, you know, it's starting. We got to get home. And this guy's with his girlfriend. He's holding his phone. <laughs> he goes, did you just say WrestleMania? And I go, yes, why? And uh, <laughs> look at this. And the match was on. And I'm sitting there watching this with this stranger whose wife has got, or his girlfriend had her arms crossed. And me and him were like, oh, my God, who do you think's going to win? <laughs> it was like so ridiculous nothing brings men together yeah like wrestlemania it really does so um if you haven't watched wrestlemania i highly recommend watching the replays on peacock (laughs) (laughs) that describes the average audience well listen it's my guilty pleasure i realize it's idiotic and hey you know you you like what you like guilty pleasure it's all right i bond with my son um so before we we move on if we do did we have anything else um pressing yeah, I used to write these besides, down. besides the, my bladder yeah. right at the moment. Well, we're going to discuss this uh, documentary or drugumentary. Uh, as can I we like can to. we go to the bathroom first? That's what I was going to say. Okay, sorry, I'm, I didn't I'm, realize you were leading into the. I'm okay. leading into the break. I'm sorry, I'm so, a, I mean timing's <laughs> off today. I'm, I apologize. Don't touch that dial because RMA will be oh, right back. Wait, I wanted to talk about one other thing before yes. we go. Okay, do you remember the Sober Together app? Yes, I received a notification from. Uh, the app developing team that they're last they're pulling the plug at the last day yeah. is this Friday. I know we really really enjoy. You heard us uh, talking about it on the show, the sober together. It was a really cool idea. Only for iOS though, not We're, for Android. It, yeah, it was yeah. only for iOS, but um, yeah, it just it, we it couldn't quite get past critical mass with users, and I'm part of that because at some point I couldn't participate the was, way I needed to. The time commitment was just too great. Yeah, but. It, but it sort of begs the question, you know, when, when you have these, this startup culture and you try and meld it with sobriety, mm. like they developed a, a community over the course of the six months that this app existed that people were using as their daily meeting, yeah. you know, as their way to make, have face-to-face contact. Some of these people live out in the middle of nowhere and now they're just yanking it. And it's like... Maybe we can buy the technology. How do you... Well... And we can put it on an RMA app as just part of the Patreon service or something. Maybe, but I'm getting the, the sense that with all of that video, the amount of bandwidth and storage yeah. capacity that you need is more than... Mm and this company is willing to pay. And some of this may be the fact that Silicon Valley, like money is 
much harder to come by now that the interest rates have gone up right. and these VCs are not spending money. But I mean, to me, it also sort of speaks to the danger of trying to meld startup culture with with the recovery community because what happens when all of a sudden something shuts down like this and these people are bereft and they have nowhere to go? Yeah, know? well, that's why I think it's important with any of these tools like um, Soberlink or... Did you just drop your vape no, on the floor? No, I wouldn't. That was my... Uh, my breathalyzer. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's important always, you know, unlike uh, Sober Buddy is another big one that's doing a lot of stuff that they always, I think, tell at those meetings, like, you sh- this should not be your only recovery, form of recovery. I mean, it's just good recovery practice to have multiple things that you yes, work on. Yes, uh, agreed. Uh, like RMA, should this should not be your primary recovery source. God, no. Um, no. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right, because things go wrong or, you know, sometimes um, like a picture a sponsor who then goes back out gets wasted and then if you were relying on the sponsor now you're going to go out so well it's good I'm, to I'm diversify gonna ex- i'm going to take exception to that example because i don't think that a sponsor going out is necessarily like well, takes you, away all of the sobriety wisdom that that sponsor has to impart well yeah in reality but like if you if a person relies on a sponsor to guide them along and then they go out. I mean they shouldn't. Yeah. But a lot of times they follow the sponsor. Well, that's because there's impossible standards right. that are set. So you should spread it out. You know, I used to say go to outpatient. For me, I was going to the outpatient to see professionals, see a psychiatrist. Go do your twelve step. Do your reading. And this way, if you know you lose the ability to read, you're at least still going to meetings. And uh, seeing your psychiatrist. Should you go blind and lose the inability? <laughs> lose the ability to read. What if I can't read? You. Uh, <laughs> so so I don't know. I, I for one would like to welcome all of our sober together friends. Yeah. To come to RMA, and uh, I, you know, I've been sort of kicking the idea around of even setting up a, pri- a special separate Discord. Yeah. Uh, and just like open it up to them for nothing if they need a place to land because you can still do like uh, chats and stuff yeah. on there. It's not as like you know, pre-organized with like an admin panel the same way they did, but you know, you can totally, um, and we've gotten some awesome listeners from that platform. Yeah. We met a bunch of great people. Uh, Aaron from Australia, among my, my favorite of people. I always loved his videos on sober together and stuff. So, um, yeah, anybody who has ties into that community, um, you know, send me an email. Let me know what you think. I I mean, setting up the discord takes 10 seconds. It's, uh, uh, Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com. And with that, we'll be right back after these words. And we're back. Hi. 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 Couple good ideas when we were. Uh, Hanging those over there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's when we get our best ideas when yeah. we're standing there waiting for, you know, <laughs> to micturate. First good idea is uh, we decided when we go out to dinner on Friday, we're, we're going to talk our wives into playing pickleball with us. Yeah. Which yeah. is a great, because I've been playing tennis, um, which is something I used to love to do. And I've been going every week with my business partner. Yeah. And uh, it feels good to get out there and, and exercise a little bit, have some fun. And then... Apparently, you're playing pickleball or you're trying to get Aaron to I play? got a pickleball net and I put it up in the driveway last uh, year mm. and the kids were, we were hitting the ball back and forth and she would come out and tentatively sort of hit the pickleball. And, uh, but now I'm thinking, you know, maybe we could make this a, a you know, a Kingsley. Uh, yeah. You know, I, and you know, they have Ross pickleball thing. lines on the courts by the beach. 
Yeah, they but, painted. Uh, it. That's interesting. I was wondering if there was going to be a, a throwdown because like pickleball and tennis have been at loggerheads over yeah. the use of these courts and but pickleball is the fastest growing sport in the United States Did it you is. Know this? and I started to see it when I had my sports store and people started asking about it and I sold a bunch of pickleball stuff and uh, I always sort of was like oh, why don't you just play tennis you know because like a tennis player is like because tennis is hard and tennis pickleball is, is easy <laughs> that's why pickleball is a lot of fun a lot of um, retirees like to play it you know who used to play tennis but it looks like fun. It's you have like the ball is like a wiffle ball. Yeah. And the rackets are really like paddles. Yeah. And it's a, you let it bounce and it's basically an attendance service box. It's mm-hmm. a little bit different, but I think that would be because even Christine was saying, you know, because the kids want to play tennis this summer and she's like, oh, maybe I'll play tennis. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know if she would really don't like run it. down your wife's well, your wife's dreams. Like I that. know her, and <laughs> I don't, she wants to play tennis. Let her play tennis. I would love for her to play tennis, but I don't know if she would love it. It's like a lot of running, and I like the idea of tennis. But when I actually get out there, my, my practically my speaking, knees hurt. Yeah, it hurts when you swing. Yeah. And so pickleball might be the perfect. Um, you know, that's why everybody plays move. it. Everybody yeah. from kids to senior citizens. Can <laughs> play. This episode is sponsored by the Pickleball Association of America. <laughs> uh, they actually uh, <laughs> at, at the gym at Lifetime, they took the one basketball court away and turned it into three pickleball courts. That's wow. when I said, this I've got pickleball t- is something. Something <laughs> is happening. Wait. So what's pro Kadima? Isn't that another paddle sport? Something Dave was talking about on Dopey a couple of years ago where it was this other fast-growing paddle racket sport that um, parents were really pro kid. They had tournaments. and uh, So this is more popular. Uh, Yeah, as far as I know. Do you have more than two pickleball paddles? I have four pickleball paddles. Perfect. (laughs) I think we should do it. I think like a little little, alliteration. (laughs) Anyway, you wanted to talk about Grant's uh, article. Yes. I think it's a great idea. Before we uh, talk about um, Take Your Pills, Xanax, the uh, Netflix drugumentary, um, I wanted to just um, tell you all about something that uh, G Money Smooth, the uh, editor at large of the RMA Newsroom, had posted on the private group. He says, if you're looking for treatment for yourself or for someone else, and you live in Delaware, Louisiana, Florida, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, coming soon to California, Wisconsin, and Indiana, check out Shatterproof's free online tool called Atlas. And then he's got a link uh, on the uh, page, and it's uh, I think he actually wrote this. Yeah, so he's got an article on Shatterproof.org, uh, I think who he works for. Yeah. Uh, he's not just like a, a roaming writer. Uh, and he writes, uh, he writes, it's called My Journey Through Alcohol Addiction uh, by Grant Boykin on Shatterproof.org. And it's, you know, Grant's story. Uh, so go there, read it, you know, tell him you liked it, enjoy it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. You utilize so, the resource if you need it. That's right. Yeah. The uh, people of RMA, the monsters are making a difference the out there. People of RMA. That's right. Taking what they learned on the podcast yeah. and bringing it into the reality. Oh, and one more announcement. Actually, Glenn. Uh, Glenn. Glenn Beck. Uh, <laughs> Grant was doing this long before RMA came along. So, yeah. 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 He's got a nice picture of him and, uh, and Liz, Queen, yeah. Queen Elizabeth. Um, and, uh, oh, the website's being worked on, everybody. Middleagesrecovery.com. It has a new look. It's not completely where I want it to be. We still have some work to do. And last amazing announcement. I'm talking to SRO Prince, who does all the dopey merch and fulfillment. Yes. And we will soon have a working store with 
merch you can actually order, buy, you know, have it shipped and wear it. Awesome. Represent. That is great news because yeah. I will wear all kinds of great stuff. And that's all I have while I go get my coffee. I got one more. I started working on the RMA book um, that we had talked about writing. Remember? Oh, yeah. yeah. I got about 30 pages done. Yeah, with all this going on, you'd think it was a pandemic again. <laughs> well, um, I finally figured out how to use ChatGPT to not write the thing, but to do the research that I can fold into the writing. And That's cool. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, I don't want to have to sit there and look up statistics on drug and alcohol abuse and go to a library. I mean, it's just, I, if I had to do that, the book would never be written, but I can have chat GPT do it and then I can run it, you know, run the numbers and check them later and, Mm. you know, and then write around the numbers. So that's helping me anyway. I'll I'll share some of that stuff with you because I need. Yeah. Well, we have to get together and because we've been talking about writing a book, we feel like it should be a combination memoir and, you know, sort of like a program or the way, you know, maybe we can highlight all of the different that's modalities the, that we. That's where I'm yeah. heading with the in that direction. Boom! So, yeah, so that will be cool. Look forward to that. But before we talk about the RMA book, let's talk about benzodiazepines. Benzos. Um, that's the benzo bell. The benzo bell. <laughs> uh, crazy man. We're an anxious society. You True. know that? We're True. very, very anxious. Um, 20% of us, in fact, 20% of U.S. adults experience some kind of anxiety disorder over the course of their lifetime, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, which, if you do the math, is 40 million American adults. Um, and 31% of U.S. adults will experience an anxiety disorder at some point during their lives. And 17 million of those people... In, at least as of nineteen or twenty twenty, mm-hmm. have uh, eased their anxiety with prescriptions for Xanax, and this these are statistics that were revealed in a film called "Take Your Pills, Xanax." Yes, on Netflix, which is about Xanax. It is. Well, they, they, it says you know colon Xanax because there's another, there's another one, one about Adderall. Is there? Yeah. We should do that one. It's too. good. So I don't know. The film sort of weaves its tail by by talking. Uh, using stories of people who use Xanax uh, and it, it folds in the opinions of experts who say that while Xanax is effective at, you know, reducing anxiety, it's also an extremely powerful drug that should ideally be used short term. Mm-hmm. But of course that is not how it's often used. Um, some of the people who show up in the film are people that we know from the recovery movement, such as Dr. Anna Lemke, who mm-hmm. is a professor of addiction from Stanford, who wrote the book, uh, Dopamine Nation. Yeah. She's right? great. I saw her speak at uh, one of these conferences. She was at uh, DopeyCon, yes. was she not? Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie Holland, who is a New York city based psychiatrist and Jeff Gold, who is a psychiatric pharmacist. Mm. Uh, and I don't know. It, it's an interesting documentary. They weave together media footage, uh, sitcom, cartoons, pharmacy ads, academic studies, that kind of thing. And then they talk to patients, therapists, researchers, and authors who recount their experience on and off the drugs, whether it be a positive experience or a negative experience. Um, you know, and, and the issues of dependence, tolerance, and withdrawal are discussed yeah, at some length. They cover like a lot of topics in the one show. So they're kind of like touching on things. It wasn't really a deep dive into one aspect of it. It sort of covers, you know, the problems in 
the current situation with Ben, some of the history. It was interesting. Yeah. I mean, for those of you that don't know, benzodiazepines um, were invented in the 60s. The first one was Librium. Mm. And um, they are um, work to calm the part of the brain that produces the fight or flight response. Right, which is what anxiety is like. Basically what they're saying is that's anxiety. It's you being in fight or flight for no good reason. You know, they were immortalized in song like the Rolling Stones' Mother's Little Helper. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically they were prescribed then as they are now, I would argue, to um, try and make you more comfortable with living in the sick society (laughs) society that we have. Um, You know, I think being anxious is a perfectly appropriate physiological response to the world that we live in today and the world that we've lived in for 50 years, right? Yeah, I think that's part of it is that, um, I mean, naturally speaking, anxiety is, we've evolved anxiety in order to keep us, you know, apprised of danger and to let you know that you have to change your behavior when you're in trouble. And so there's a physical change uh, in your body. And Um, we're more anxious for a number of reasons, but this, I think, attempts to pin some of that on, you know, the get it now culture and then the prescription, take a pill for everything culture. So it's kind of a, you know, snowball effect. Yeah. And of course, if you, if you kind of look back at the history of the early benzodiazepines, especially Valium, uh, you can see the hands of the pharmaceutical industry, specifically the hands of the, of the Sackler family are all over this thing. Yeah. And they don't really go into this in the documentary. And, and honestly, I think that's one of the, the places where the documentary falls a little short is it yeah. doesn't really talk about how these things became so ubiquitous, only that they are being prescribed more and more frequently. But um, Arthur Sackler, he did not invent Valium, mm. but he did play a significant role in the way the drug was marketed. Marketing, that was his big thing. Yes. I mean, he his marketing strategy for Valium basically laid the groundwork for aggressive marketing practices in the pharmaceutical industry, including for Oxycontin and other benzodiazepines. Um, you know, he would, um, he's the first guy that sort of went into the doctor's offices and, and, and started, you know, giving doctors all these perks for prescribing. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did for opioids. And that's what he did for Valium. And, and as a result, Valium became the most prescribed drug in the United States for a certain period of time. Yeah. We, and it sort of normalized the idea that if, if your stress levels are too high, there's a, there's a pill to bring them down. There's something there. Yeah. And we, we do a deep dive on the, uh, when we go over the book, um, empire of pain. Yeah. Um, and it, it's amazing the parallels, you know, like, First, it was the opioid crisis, and we were looking at all of what what was causing it and what was happening. And it looks like here's another, like a parallel. It's almost the same trajectory, just not as fast, I think. Or, well, I mean, you you could argue that they. I mean, there's a there's a difference between a benzodiazepine and an opioid, right? Mm-hmm. You can stay on benzodiazepines your entire life without really needing much of a, um, increase in your dosage. Mm. Uh, opioids, totally different, totally different drug. The tolerance builds up faster. So, I mean, you can, so the the pharmaceutical companies still marketing Xanax, you know, without too, too much pushback. Yeah. You know, um, but you listen to the patients describe how effective the drug is and you think to yourself, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle though, that you can never get off of. Right. Because you, 
you're, you become so dependent on this stuff yeah. from both a physical and a psychological s- state. And, you know, there's only two, two types of drugs that you can die withdrawing from. One is benzodiazepines and the other is alcohol, alcohol of course. Yeah. And, and so withdrawing from benzos, like they, they, they talked to this one guy, uh, Scott, I guess in the film, mm. his name was, and, um, he was like his pictures of his younger self. He was like a surfer dude, you know, and, but he suffered from like severe anxiety. So he was on, um, he got a prescription for Xanax when he was in college and he started out on one milligram dose. And then over the years that crept up to three milligrams. Now, if that was an opioid, it would probably. You'd be 300. Yeah. The, the accelerate, it would have accelerated. Right. Yeah. Right. And everything was fine. And then one day he decided he wanted to maybe reduce and get off the drug. So his doctor decreased the three milligrams to 2.5, not a huge reduction, half a milligram, but that reduction kicked off this fucked up situation of side effects in him. Uh, He had hypersensitivity to sound and smells. He was having like sound auditory hallucinations, heart palpitations, a feeling like his skin was burning and crushing fatigue. Um, And yet he brought all these symptoms to uh, all these doctors and not a single one of them uh, made the connection between the dose reduction and the symptoms he was having. Yeah, I mean, it, it just reminds me of everything we heard about the opioid doctors, you know, when they would, the person would complain they were having withdrawal symptoms while they were on it, they would give them more. It's yeah. almost like it's this total, I don't know if it's a rejection of the idea that these things could be dangerously addictive or they're just ignorant. I mean, I don't know if it's a matter of doctors not being educated, the same as... Uh, uh, opiates. It just seems like um, something that is that hard to to titrate yourself off. Um, like the 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 effects, and and with so many people on these things, like the you should be able to sort of without going to twenty five different doctors, yeah. have somebody say, oh, they reduced your your benzodiazepine uh, prescription a half a milligram. That's why you feel like you're going out of your mind. Yeah, you know, but. You know, when he, he finally realized that the symptoms were coming from um, Xanax because he got, he got in touch with this, or he read a book by this woman, I guess, who was the pioneer in, in, in getting people off Xanax. She yeah. since died, but she wrote like the Bible for how to titrate yourself off. Yeah. She had an, like a, um, a clinic, right? Where they de-prescriptionalize. Yeah. She had a, a really interesting word for that, where the whole thing is to get people off into a manageable dose. I don't think it was an abstinence program or thing. It was like helping people come off of it or reduce it significantly. I think the eventual the eventual goal was to, to was to be off it, right? Um, but the fact that like <laughs> that's the the model, right? Some lady who wrote a book that you at home figure this out yourself right. is speaks to a glaring fucking problem, right? I mean, yeah, it, the doctors should be telling you this uh, up front. Yeah. You know, before you do it. I mean, Xanax was invented in the early 80s. It's, um, you know, and it's been just increasing in use share ever since. I don't know what what the difference is between like uh, Valium and Xanax. Uh, I guess they, they market it as faster acting, shorter lasting, um, but uh, equally as aggressively marketed and, and picked up uh, quite a number of recreational users as well because it's everywhere. Everybody has a prescription for Xanax, apparently. I yeah. never had one. But. Um. I had a prescription of Xanax at some point. It's not really an interesting story, but I remember it really helping me sleep and come off of cocaine. Um, oh, you know, yeah, um, I, yeah. But what? Um, my experience with these benzos very limited. Um, when I was a freshman in college, 
Uh, there was a period where I was taking acid for too many days in a row, and um, good thing for Xanax. I was I was very um, I was very stressed out after like the third day in a row of tripping and not sleeping. Yeah. So I took a Valium, maybe two. And it knocked me out. And when I woke up, I, I felt like the best. I had the best sleep I ever had in my life. But um, but they were like hard to come by then. Mm. I mean, nobody I knew had a prescription and they weren't like something I could buy in the streets of the Bronx generally. So uh, I think I it was really cross paths path with them. Too I much. think it was one of those things going around like um, housewives and like parents in their 30s and 40s were getting it from their doctors. I knew a few women... Um, that had admitted to, had said something like it got very casual, like, Oh, I've got a Xanax if you need one. Mm-hmm. Or even my mother-in-law, when we went on our, uh, I think it was our honeymoon. She was like, Oh, here, you can have one of my Xanax. You just drink a glass of champagne and you'll be like hyperspace. <laughs> like, I'll never forget. I, I was like, Oh, okay. I didn't think twice about it. I was like, give me the Xanax. Thank you, grandma. And, uh, so it, it got very casual. People really let their guards down about Xanax. And I think this is creeping in. And it goes along with, at the same time, we have like the Johan Hari wrote the book about attention spans going away and the addiction to right. uh, phones and instant everything. And so it's sort of going hand in glove with society becoming uh, a, a more anxious place to be. It's with the 24-hour news cycle they talk about in the documentary. It's like you're constantly hearing from people on your phone. Right. You never really leave work. Like, uh, you know, because you're always... And so this creates this environment where there is more anxiety. And instead of naturally learning to cope with this anxiety, we're taking drugs, and therefore we're not building up the mental calluses uh, to, to deal with this kind of... Um, anxiety what I, what I thought was funny in the in the movie is they had that one psychiatrist who was like um she was like yeah i'm a new york uh, uh psychiatrist of course i prescribe benzodiazepine she's like but what what i really think uh, people should do is smoke more pot <laughs> yeah that's the next answer <laughs> and i'm like for anxiety is is that really the answer i guess maybe for some people some other people pot makes them incredibly paranoid and anxious so I, yeah uh, and that's not that's a slippery slope because that'll be another documentary in five years look what happened everybody you know we're taking thc because you know there's a rebound effect after you you're high from THC wears off, there's a rebound anxiety that you smoke more to, yeah. to get rid of. So it's a slippery That's slope. That's interesting. Maybe you know. it's, it's, it sort of parallels uh, um, benzos in, yeah. that, in that respect. But, um, you know, Xanax has been around since the 80s, but it really started to spike uh, in, the, in 2001 when, um, when the government allowed direct marketing of medications to consumers. Marketing. So all of a sudden, like the ads were targeted towards people. And, um, instead like, of doctors. Yeah. So after nine 11 in, in, in 2001, um, the benzo companies, the pharma companies started target marketing direct to consumers in New York and New York saw a 23% increase in the prescription of benzos while the rest of the U S increased 8%. Now, there's a reason why New York after 9-11, like the, uh, yeah. you know, a lot more need and everybody needed benzos or something after 9-11 yeah. uh, in New York, but it was particularly, it just shows you how much like the capitalistic model of, of, you know, drug marketing creates like creates a need where one didn't exist before. Like who are these people that all of a sudden started taking benzodiazepines? What were they doing before? Just having a couple 
couple drinks or smoking well, a doobie? Like what? You know, all of a yeah. sudden now you're getting them hooked on a new pill. I mean, the problem is it's too easy to for a doctor to just, if you're feeling that anxiety, even if it's not a major anxiety, some people will just feel anxious because their work is stressful or their kids are driving them nuts. And the doctor says, here, you feel, you know, take as needed. Here you go. And then we start to... Yeah, but they didn't need it before. Right. <laughs> That's but, the thing. But now they think they do, so then they do, and then they do. Right. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you need it every day. Right. And if you don't have it, you could fucking die. It, Can you think a, of a better product for somebody to shove down somebody's throat? Cigarettes. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> S- similar model, really. Yeah. I mean, uh, those were marketed by doctors and healthcare professionals as well in the beginning. Yeah. So it just seems like, uh, you know, history is repeating itself. You know, here we are again with a dangerous drug that helps people, but most of the people who take it are not being helped. <laughs> it's too easy to get. The money being made is too much to stop doing. You know, wh- when are we going to learn that this is not um, a system that works? And what is the answer? I don't know what the answer is, but I do know this, like the movie sort of interviewed people who were taking it and, and highlighted the negative side, but there were a couple of people who said that without the Xanax, they wouldn't be able to, to function. Right. You know, there was a, a woman who was um, in the military who sustained a sexual assault in the military and she mm-hmm. credits the drug for like basically stitching her life back together. And then there's, um, so, you know, there's, is there a place for benzodiazepines and trauma therapy? Yeah. Should it be an open-ended take it for the rest of your life thing? I mean, I, it seems like the answer should to that should be no for any drug. Yeah. Like you shouldn't just prescribe it to somebody who like um, their work is stressful. So take this every time you feel stress, you know, or situations where it's probably not you know medically necessary. Maybe it shouldn't be so freely given out. Yeah. And then there was that other girl who was took take has been taking it since she was like 14 and she's like 20 now and she's she says she couldn't function without it either but right. i'm thinking how do you know like you're you're 20 years old like you're you know you've never ex- really experienced adult life without Xanax or without some kind of you know gauzy filter to separate you from reality and, and is that the way you want to live your life no, either. And, and that and that's one of the things that's popped out to me. I forget who was saying this on the documentary, but they they tackle that too. They say take by taking benzos, you don't build up the mental calluses to live without it. Right. And they say um, if you are not confronting your anxiety head on, uh, if you're doing it through like a muted, like through Xanax, you're never going to be able to develop those skills. And I think that's also, especially if she takes it since she's 14, you know, by the time you're an adult, you never learned, you know, how to cope with these things health in a healthy way. Isn't that the whole underpinning of the argument for abstinent recovery? Like yeah. Life on life's terms. Right. right. I mean, any of these substances, you can use them as a, a bridge, right? Mm. If you're suffering from trauma, if you... You know, so if you, the death of a loved one or a child, God forbid, you know, something that you, and you're just unable to function, these drugs can bridge you yeah, across. It's, it's a miracle. Should they be prescribed for longer than like a six month period? Or, I mean, Dr. Lemke thinks it's that that's the use where the use of the drug should be. Yeah. You know, six months. Six and months then... as a bridge, you know, because this stuff, I mean, it affects your central nervous system, right? It targets this 
GABA receptor, which is the gamma aminobutyric acid receptor, which is the neurotransmitter responsible for inhibiting your nerve activity, which leads to the calming and sedative effects characteristic of benzodiazepines. Mm. I mean, we're wired to have an anxious reaction for a reason, right? Right. It's uh, evolutionary. But I mean, so much of drug use is just trying to, you know, tamp down our normal yeah. fight or flight response because we don't want to feel the feels, you know? Right. And, um, and sometimes it's good to be anxious. If I didn't have anxiety like I do right now, maybe I wouldn't get as much done. <laughs> or, you know, when you got anxious, it was because you were being, you were in danger. And then, so the fight or flight means you're either going to kill the tiger or the tiger is going to kill you. But some people feed off that right. anxiety. Yeah. Some people it's crippling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know? So there's always a place for these kinds of things, I think. And I was just talking to Charlie on Discord about how there are people in the opioid crisis, and we saw this in more than one documentary, about how the people who really do need it are now having trouble getting it. Right. You know, and and that's too far. The pendulum maybe swings too far in, in the wrong direction, and there's people that left out in the cold who maybe actually need, you know, opioids or have crippling anxiety. So it's up to the doctors, I guess, to be more educated, to be more responsible, and the people to, you know, get educated too. We've got Google now. Or you get a result like what Melissa posted about um, just before the show started where, you know, you you have severe pain. Your doctor has restricted your ability to get opiates because 20 years ago you had a drug problem. Yeah. So you go get some from a coworker who bought them off the street and it's got fentanyl in it and you OD and die and you leave kids, you know. Yeah, that's, that's a really a worst case scenario. You know, they, they make people, they, it turns people into criminals. Yeah. You know, like I, I worry about that too, just like with my drug history, which is well documented, you know, the troubles uh, all the way back, you know, 10 years. You know, what if I get into a, a situation where, you know, I actually need some kind of medication that may be scheduled, like whatever it is, who knows, maybe it hasn't been invented yet. And then they say, oh, not for this guy. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not fair in a lot of ways, you know, and yeah, it could be a real problem. We need smarter gatekeepers, I guess. I mean, so much of this is tied up in what our incentives are in the healthcare system, right? I mean, it certainly seems to me that we incentivize drug company profits over the health of individual human beings in our society. And we have a society that's so stressed out and designed for you to be a, a worker bee and uh, an exploited worker and, you know, to have you running here and there without a second to yourself. The pharmaceutical company steps in, they, they meet that need with a pill mm. and they're rewarded for the continual perspective prescription of these pills and it becomes a big feedback loop and then all these pills are out there and everyone's taking these pills and nobody looks at the larger question of whether is this good for us is this good for us and sort of like the, that federal judge in texas yesterday who struck down the part of the obamacare law which provides that insurance companies have to pay for preventive care yeah I right saw that. like like of all the things in Obamacare that one could object to. The idea that people should have to pay out of pocket for preventive care, all that does is drive healthcare pro- uh, 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 pro- up. 
you know, yeah, healthcare costs up because people are not going to pay out of their pocket for preventive care. Right. The and that costs point. all of us more money. Yeah. The, you know the, who it doesn't cost more money? The drug companies. The fucking drug companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it makes perfect sense that you would save money long term if you were making preventive care available. It's but like, we, we do not have a wellness healthcare system. We have a sickness healthcare system. Profit is made from sick people. It's not made from healthy people. It's from treatments, not cures. When you have a national healthcare system and for all the flaws of national nationalized healthcare, waiting for doctors, um, you know, quality of irregular quality of care, depending on where you are, um, which is exists in a capitalist system as well. But for all of those problems, the one thing that, all of those systems have is they are incentivized to keep people healthy because it keeps costs down and that saves money for taxpayers. We do not have that here. I had never thought of it that way. So if we had nationalized uh, health care, that would pull out that profit incentive to drug companies and therefore yeah. have them uh, being more responsible. Huh? What do you guys think? Uh, Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com. That's a hot topic. People national health care and it hasn't come up yet but the elections are coming so um election if elections changed anything in this country they would have been outlawed by now yeah yeah <laughs> it's true it, it makes everybody argue yeah. so these things will come up yeah it's very very uh we're all distracted by the specter of donald trump uh getting his mugshot this afternoon in lower manhattan when you know the real criminals who wear their coats and the ties are free to drink martinis and watch the sunrise yes yeah. that rhymes that's dylan all bob, right bob dylan but uh, <laughs> a little bob dylan for your mind <laughs> um yeah so it's an it's another problem with prescriptions and doctors and drug companies that we can't solve. No, but we can complain about <laughs> it. Complain. And you will listen to us bitch about it because, you know, that's what we do. Because you're bitching about it too. Admit it. So I don't know. I, here's my critique of the documentary. Yes. I don't think it went into a lot of those systemic issues in any le level of depth. And maybe that was beyond uh, its um, uh, scope. scope. Mm. And also the documentary was made by... Um, Schwarzenegger's kid. Oh, I didn't. And know. Um, I think I don't know. They said they were like executive producers on there. Ronald and, Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I don't know if this is the kid that he had with the maid, or this is like the one he had with Maria Shriver, or maybe I'm just mixing up my celebrities and it was somebody else's kid entirely. Yeah, I didn't um, see the. <laughs> I just saw it in passing when I was doing some research, and I didn't really think about the relevancy of that, but. Uh, Oh yeah, the um, that's right with the maid and the uh, no secret child left behind act of uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I would say check this one out. Um, oh, sorry, I yeah. was in the middle of my critique. Oh yeah, keep critiquing. Critiquing is that uh, I I found it was a bit repetitive. I yeah. think after the first twenty minutes or so, it didn't really cover much new ground. I thought the stories of the people were interesting, but I thought the talking heads were just kind of. Eh. Yeah. Well, I thought like they could have done a better job they touched on a lot of things where I was like, yes. And then kind of didn't go more into it. Like yeah. the, the pill pressing and like the counterfeit yeah. Xanax is, was kind of a big deal. And you could do an entire series on that. Mm -hmm. You know, the danger of on the one hand making Xanax, like the public opinion of it is it's not a big deal. And then on the other side of it, you have the kids or people partying who think it's no big deal, but can't don't have a prescription. They buy it off the street, and then they get these fentanyl pills, right. and they're dead. And they're dead. And so that's a whole other uh, part of this. So, and what is the, what are the pharmaceutical companies doing to step in and protect their brand? Yeah, 
And who's stealing their pill presses? You know, because yeah. those don't get made on their own. Like that's, um, I know. So I would say you I know, think check it's it out. Mexican cartels. Mexican would be my car- answer. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Somebody's making answer. pill presses. Yeah, I watch Breaking Bad. I know how this goes down. <laughs> yeah, I know how it works. It's out there. The CIA. I, I say the CIA is doing it. So I have a um, yes R I T N, but I need to pull it up, yo. So we need to stop the thing for a second. We'll be right back. No words. No words. I probably could have done that without turning the mic off because it only took me like 10 seconds. We're back. Did we ever leave? We never left. I'm not putting We're music there. Uh, so what time is it, Nat? It's time for Recovery in the News. You watched the Grammys this year? Absolutely not. Yeah, me either. Never. You know who was at the Grammys, though? Mm-mm. Ben Affleck was at oh, the Grammys. Ben Affleck. Yeah. Batman. With, with J-Lo. J-Lo and Batman. Yeah. Together at last. Is it J-Lo? Is that who he's married to? I don't remember. Yes. Je- Benifer. Yeah. Right? Okay, right. Mm. Jenny. So he the was there, and um, they were interviewing him, and some viewers like said that he appeared drunk, which is... Unfortunate since he was in recovery. Oh, I didn't hear that. Mm. So, um, so this news is a little stale at this point, but, um, anyway, it's from people magazine, that source of accurate. Mm -hmm. Yes. Celebrity gossip. Um, (laughs) Journalistic integrity. Yeah. The article title is uh, Ben Affleck talks sobriety reacts to viewers calling him drunk at the Grammys. Still a tremendous stigma. Uh, Ben Affleck said that comments about his behavior at the Grammys caused him to question whether it's wise to acknowledge addiction publicly since there is still a tremendous stigma, which is often quite inhibiting. Yeah. Um, Affleck, despite viral memes saying otherwise, had a good time at the Grammys, and he took note of those claiming he appeared drunk at the award show. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, the air actor slash director 50 reacted to his facial expressions in the audience of the Grammy Awards in February becoming social media fodder, viewers assuming he was bored at the event where he accompanied his wife, Jennifer Lopez. That sentence doesn't make any sense, and it offends me (laughs) as an attorney. I am grammatically offended by this. No, I had a good time at the Grammys. My wife was going, and I thought, well, there'll be good music. It might be fun. Uh, At movie award shows, it's speeches and like sound mixing webinars, but I thought this would be fun, said Affleck. Sound mixing webinars they have? Sound mixing webinars sound great. Um, Fun for the whole family. Of the moments caught on camera, the star said, I saw a Trevor Noah approach and I was like, oh God, they were framing us in this shot, but I didn't know they were rolling. I leaned into her and I was like, as soon as they start rolling, I'm going to slide away from you and leave you sitting next to Trevor. She goes, you better fucking not leave. That's a husband and wife thing. That is a husband and wife thing. Um, <laughs> he called the music award show his wife's work event and it admitted he has in the past gone to events and been pissed off. Um, I've gone bored. I've gone and I've been drunk a bunch. No one ever said I'm drunk. But at the recent Grammys, however, they were like, he's drunk, said Affleck, who has previously been open about his sobriety. And I thought, that's interesting. That raises a whole other thing about whether or not it's wise to acknowledge addiction because there's a lot of compassion, but there's still a lot of tremendous stigma, which is often quite inhibiting. I do think it disincentivizes people from making their lives 
better. That sounds like something I would say after getting caught drinking after a long period of sobriety. <laughs> uh, he sounds just like one of us uh, <laughs> trying to get away with it. I think he brings up an incredibly important point, and it's yes. one that I have um, explored in my own sobriety, in my own work life. Mm. You know, I've had to counterbalance the um, effect of being open about the fact that I no longer drink for uh, at specific work reason for without you know providing too many details because mm. the stigma exists and people who knows what people think i mean i'm not ben affleck lord knows mm. but almost 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 my wife's hotter than j-lo anyway true um but like i get it man mm. like he he put it out there, and now every time he makes a funny facial expression that a paparazzi gets, they're like, "He's drunk," because that's something they can, yeah, you know, throw up up in his face. And I think what happened, I've seen this before, where when we get into recovery and you sort of get into the mode of telling your darkest secrets to a group of strangers, and I, I remember feeling that way after going to rehab for twenty eight days, and you're just ensconced in this. Tell everything, and, and it's the best thing is for you to be honest with everybody and yourself. And you sort of get into that kind of way of thinking and talking. And then when you get around people, <laughs> you, like I, I'll speak for myself, like the, I had this the, the same feeling where I would overshare because that was what I thought I should do just right. subconsciously. But what we, what I forget is most people still have these stigmas. They still think about addicts and alcoholics as morally corrupt and, you know, weak people. I think. Yes, and they so do. It's important to be mindful of that. And I think this is why anonymity is, can be really helpful and protective. Well, what Affleck really likes is that he likes 12-step stuff, mm. right? He says the best part about that, I guess what he means about that is like being open, mm. is that sometimes people call me up and they're like, hey, can you help me out? And it makes me feel so good to do that. He said, the big trick of 12 step is the reason they want you to help other people is because it actually helps you more. And mm. often what I'll say to people is I would avoid your addiction coming out if I were you. You don't need to be anybody's poster child. You don't need to fucking tell anybody. That's why there's two words on the front of the book. They're just as important, both of them. Alcoholics, anonymous. It's always anonymous. True. Um, but when you are honest and open with certain people in your life, maybe not everybody, it also helps keep you accountable. So like yes. many things, there is a balance. There is a way through the middle. There is, and I'm sorry Ben Affleck is getting yeah. shit from the the general public about people playing the is he or isn't he drunk game. Yes, and I'm, I'm sorry I made light of the that I said he was just making excuses. It was just, I thought of myself. I was projecting my own behavior on Ben Affleck, I so I am sorry. Been, man. I'm sorry, Ben. That's what I would do, not you. He seems like a, a, a decent guy. I don't know him at all. I mean, anybody that's been Batman in the movies. Was he Batman? Yes. He was in the, the recent Justice League. How many fucking Batmans have there been? Some would say too many, and some would say not enough. You be the judge. I like Michael Keaton. Yeah. Anyway. Recovering the news. Uh... Well, that about does it for today, folks. No Week and Weird No today. Week and Weird this week. Dude. I'm only doing it every so often when I find a good story. I'm okay. not going to force <laughs> them out, you know, because sometimes it's a dud. It's going to be a special event. When we have a week in weird. Okay. And uh, actually, if you guys have a good week in weird that you want to suggest for the show, I would love to hear 
some of your crazy stories that you find Send on the internet. Send me your Bigfoot yes. footage, your UFO shaky videos. Ghosts. Yeah, all Whatever you got. Um, I had a great time. Did you? Yes, it was fabulous. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at the newly revamped and relaunched MiddleAgesRecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at Twat, you twit. Support your favorite show. That's us. Drop a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Um, Do that. Join the private Facebook group. Uh, just search Recovering the Middle Ages on Facebook. Um, join us on Patreon. We've got video episodes, free merch, the Discord uh, private discussion group. That's patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. So uh, if you get something out of our little show, please share the love to help the RMA movement. And as we say... Non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Be good. Be good. Be good.